Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I am your host, Amar Grigic, and today with me is Ado Kukic. He is the uh, developer evangelist lead at Off Zero, and uh, we're going to talk about what they do. Um, Ado, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. No problem. So, could you tell me a little bit about yourself, about your background, and also how you got to Off Zero? Sure, absolutely. So, I've been a software developer, software engineer for the last. Uh, 10, 10 or 12 years. And uh, the way I kind of got into, into coding and software development in the first place was uh, a buddy of mine needed to um, needed a website. And I've always been kind of the, the nerdy guy, always working with computers, playing video games. So he reached out to me and um, he, he asked me, hey, you know, you know things about computers, right? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. And he's like, okay, can you make me a website and I'll pay you like 500 bucks? <laughs> I was like, yeah, absolutely. And and at the time, I had never built a website, never uh, done any real sort of software development. I you know tried to make a, make a few games with RPG Maker and just kind of fooled around. But when uh, when the prospect of five hundred dollars was uh, falling into my lap at, at fifteen years old, I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And that's kind of how I got my start in web development. And um, after about eight to 10 years of, uh, of freelancing, of working with uh, various different startups, um, another friend that, that worked at Odd Zero, he, he reached out to me and said, hey, uh, we're, we're hiring uh, at Odd Zero. We're looking for people that, um, that are passionate about teaching others. And uh, we need somebody to, to write on our blog. And uh, education has always been one of, one of my big passions. I, I've always loved teaching people. Uh, I wanted to go to, to university and eventually be a professor, but this seemed like a, like a good alternative to going to school for an additional five, six years. So um, I joined Odd Zero as a technical writer, and that really meant uh, writing blog posts on uh, all sorts of technology. So, you know, my job was basically research and development and then writing about it and teaching others who, how to integrate uh, zero, how to work with identity, uh, kind of learning all the different uh, standards that, that kind of um, manage how, how identity is managed. And uh, that's kind of how I got my start. Yeah. So um, that's interesting that you mentioned the whole writing part. So why was that important to Alcero to do it in that fashion? So using uh, blog posts and stuff like that to uh, help people um, get to use their product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, you know, Alcero was one of the first companies to, to, to really start focusing on content marketing. And, uh, you know, they saw a, a real void available in the market of educating developers, right? Developers uh, love learning new things. They love um, to, to try new technologies out. And uh, what Ozero decided to do was um, created this blog at ozero.com forward slash blog and just write technical articles on the cool and you know unique things that our engineers and our developers were working on and just kind of start writing that content and posting it out there. So uh, at the beginning, the Azure blog didn't even have a lot of uh, Azure promotion. And kind of a funny story about that. Uh, since, since I'm a developer evangelist now and I go to a lot of different meetups, a lot of different conferences and talk to people, um, you know, I'll, I'll usually mention, hey, I'm from Azure and I do so and so. And they'll come up to me and say, hey, I love your blog. How do you guys make money? And I'm like, well, you know, we have this identity platform <laughs> that, that makes it really easy for you to, you know, integrate into your, uh, your web applications. 
And they're like, no, you guys are a blog. I, I don't believe you. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, they don't even they don't even know what the product is. It's it's so much into the technical details and stuff like that that they don't even know what the actual product is. Yep, exactly. And, and you know, I, I think on one hand, that's really good for for the developers that our content is so uh, platform agnostic and that you can still learn a whole lot of things without necessarily, you know, needing Out Zero. Yeah. But on the other side, you know, we we would like to uh, we would like people to at least try Out Zero and give it a give it a try and see if it solves their their solution. Yeah, so you you mentioned it a little bit. What uh, what you do? So c- could you tell a little bit about that? So what what kind of service do you try to provide with Auth Zero? Yeah, so Auth Zero, we kind of build the platform as a um, universal authentication and authorization platform for uh, your web, your mobile, and even your legacy applications. And what I mean by that is, you know, we want to make it. Uh, as easy as possible for you as the developer to implement identity, to implement standards compliant identity uh, with uh, with OAuth 2.0, OIDC Connect, um, and, and other technologies, just to kind of um, abstract that from your application so that you as a business can focus on building the things that you're really good at. Identity is kind of a kind of a solved problem for the most part, but it is very complex. So if we can make it easier for you to implement user authentication and authorization so that your team could focus on building the rest of their application, their you know unique features, then we've kind of we'll kind of have done our job. Yeah. So uh, how how does someone go about actually using Auth0? So say for instance I'm going to start a project, how can I uh, how can I start? Um so the best way to get started is just to head over to auth0.com, A-U-T-H-0, the number zero, dot com. And we have a very simple sign-up process. You can sign up with uh, um, either create a, an email and password account or sign up with, with GitHub or Google or any of those uh, social providers. Uh, from that, that point on, we'll just ask you what type of application you're building, what language, what framework, and we'll either provide you an SDK for it or a quick start to help you get started. So if you're building a brand new application, um, downloading the quick start is probably the easiest way where you can be up and running in as little as five to 10 minutes. Um, if you already have an existing application and you just want to try out Zero and see if it's going to solve your problems, um, then we have SDKs for all the major uh, languages and frameworks. So whether you're working with PHP or Go or Java, um, whatever language, whatever platform you have, or it's very likely that we have an SDK or a quick start for it. And if, uh, if by some miracle you're working on a brand new language that doesn't have any uh, that's kind of not well known. It's just kind of up and coming, and we don't have an SDK for it. Then we do also have a REST-based API, where as long as you can make an HTTP call, you can um, interface with Zero. Very cool, very cool. Because that that's uh, of course important. I mean, um, w- when people are working on the project, they usually like to just use the the language that they're comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, why why would someone use Zero instead of just implementing themselves because uh, what what normally happens is that someone will start off uh, building a system and they will do the user management and the login and the sign up and everything like that so why would they use a third party for that what's what's kind of the advantages to doing that 
Sure. Uh, so one of the, the big advantages is, is kind of future-proofing your application. And a lot of developers that, that I talk to on a daily basis just do have that mentality of, hey, I'm building this uh, this really simple app, so I just need a simple login system, a you know, username and password. And you know it's kind of one and done. But in reality, uh, as soon as you kind of release that app, uh, you know your your product manager, your product owner is going to want additional features. And identity and user management is one of those uh, things that that con that is constantly evolving. That constantly needs updates. So if you do decide to build it yourself, then you're not only responsible for handling that you know, username and login page, you also have to worry about password resets. You have to worry about, um, you know, in the future, if the, if the business owner wants to add social connections, then you have to integrate with all of these different APIs. If, uh, you know, you get a, an enterprise customer that wants to integrate single sign-on into your application, then you need to build that. And on top of building all these features, now you're... Uh, responsible in maintaining it and fixing all the, you know, applying patches, fixing bugs, and constantly monitoring the the application to to ensure that everything is working smoothly. And in case it doesn't, like if your identity solution fails, if somebody breaches your uh, user database, then a lot of sensitive information can get out, which uh, you know you don't want that to happen, and you don't want to end up on uh, the front page of Hacker News or Reddit or you know the New York Times, depending on what your business is. Yeah, and uh, th that's a good good point. I mean, a lot of people are working on their product and want to get their product better, of course, and they want to uh, make a, the best product that they can. But usually identity and logging in and stuff like that is not your core business of your application, right? And that's that's one of the things that I always try to uh, to talk to people about is that they're saying okay maybe this solution when i implement it it will cost me more over time because i'm getting more users or whatever uh but they forget that they also need to manage it right so if for example as you said uh we had it a little while ago where google stopped with google plus and they were like okay yeah you need to switch over to different apis and call different things yeah, then we were like, okay, I have to spend, I don't know, one or two weeks, for example, of uh, my precious development time on changing that, on putting it on something else, right? Right, exactly. And the thing too is, you know, I'm sure every company has has great developers, but not every company has uh, security experts working on their identity platform, working on their user management systems. And it's one of those things that's very easy to, to mess up. It's very easy to make a, a small mistake that can snowball into something, something huge that, that could you know, potentially sink your entire company. So you know, for that reason, our, our team at Odd0, we currently have uh, close to 500 employees. Uh, many of those work in our engineering department. And around the clock, you know, they, their sole duty, their sole res responsibility is to build the best possible uh, authentication and authorization platform. So you know, we want to kind of give you that peace of mind that if you do decide to go with Odd0, and you know, even if it's not Odd0, if you're using um, AWS Cognito or, or a different identity platform, um, whether you use us or a different platform, I, I truly believe that your your application is going to be much more stable. Um, so we, you know, my goal is really just to get developers to not roll their own identity anymore. And you know, whether they they use Azure, Cognito, or or a different uh, SaaS platform to manage their user identities, I, I see that as an absolute win. Okay, so yeah, that that, that makes total sense. And I was I was wondering, so. 
when you look at the security, for example, uh, a lot of people are still using like plain text passwords and stuff like that. So, uh, and and even without two-factor authentication, right? So they they use their their plain passwords. They just log in and use their the same passwords mostly uh, for for all kinds of different websites. So. Uh, how how do you see that changing in the f- near future? Are you do you think people will be using that more and more, or h- how do you see that changing? Um, th- that's a a really really good question, and uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that you know the, the people still they they you know they kind of rely on that username and password whenever they are forced to use two factor authentication instead of thinking of it as a as an enhanced uh, kind of security feature to to protect their account they see it more as as a hindrance of man why do i why do i have to go look at my phone now and look and copy this code and um, so you know one of the the big problems to to enhance security and especially two factor authentication is uh, is kind of convenient, right? And uh, for us, kind of, you know, millennials or or younger younger folks or people that work in the industry, it's uh, it's a little bit more clear why we need it and, and the benefits it provides. But on the other hand, you also have people like like my parents who are you know in their mid fifties, they they can barely use a, a cell phone, and now asking them to to remember their username and password to have a unique password for every website they, that they access, and then also to, to know how two-factor authentication works for each of those unique websites is, uh, is kind of a tall order and something, that, um, something that that's really holding back the adoption uh, of greater security. But I think the good news uh, on that front is there's a lot of uh, upcoming standards. There's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of different companies are, are trying um, different things out to to kind of make that uh, a much more convenient experience. So, for example, if you um, Google does a really good job uh, with their with their accounts, where you know once you log in, if it detects that you're logging in from a from a different uh, location, so it's kind of using anomaly detection to see if this login was um, is kind of out of the out of the uh, ordinary. Yeah. Then it's going to kick off that that two factor authentication flow, and in many cases, you'll just get a pop up on your phone saying, "Hey, are you trying to log in? Click yes or no." And you hit yes, and it logs you in. And um, the, at Azure, we do we kind of have that those similar capabilities. Um, but I think one of the potentially you know huge game changers in, in the near future is a is an open standard called uh, WebAuthn that is aiming to kind of eliminate the need for passwords uh, from the end user forever. And basically the way that that works is it relies on a a hardware token or or a hardware key. So when you go to a website, you click the the login button, you just put in your key and it it authenticates you. So you no longer have to uh, remember a unique combination. You no longer have to... um, Remember a different password. It's just automatically generated for you with the uh, basically cryptology, and I, I think that could go a, a long way in securing uh, applications and also making it easier for for the masses, for you know new internet users, for older internet users who just don't see the the, the safety factor uh, and you know would prefer convenience over uh, enhanced security. Yeah, so that that new standard, I, I haven't heard about it yet because I do know, of course, there are a lot of hardware tokens that they, they are also used for doing two-factor authentication as well, of course. But um, how how would that how does that work? So, say for instance, because that 
also has its problems, right? So if I have something hardware, so if I have a key in my pocket or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. I can also just... I, I can lose it, right? I can just lose it somewhere and or it can break or whatever. How would that work? That, that, that's one of the things that that I'm then worried about is, of course, the, your password you can forget as well. That I mean, mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. But uh, how would that work for a hardware solution as well? How, how, how does it work? Uh, sure. So uh, the the standard is uh, still kind of in the process uh, of being finalized. They have a, a really good draft out, but essentially uh, with the with the WebAuthn protocol, you can. Um, it doesn't have to be a specific hardware token. Like you can use your um, Google phone, for example, your Android device as the hardware token itself, ah, okay. or on your on your laptop, for example, you can use um, a Touch ID or if you have um, any sort of encryption. Uh, features available on your laptop on a different device that, that you're using your computer then you can use those for the um, for the registering um, and also um, kind of creating that account so it's uh, it's still in the process of being fully defined we, we at out zero uh, are also in the process of making that a feature available in the platform okay. uh, we do have a, a really cool demo at webauthn.me available uh, where you can actually go through the flow and it explains step by step how you create a user how you register it and how you use that authenticator so uh, I would definitely uh, encourage you if you're looking to to learn more if this is something that um, is interesting to you to check it out at uh, web authen auth and then the, the letter n dot me or you can even google it and you know i'm sure there's a whole bunch of different resources that can um, help you learn a little bit more about this upcoming standard hmm, that's interesting so that that is an open source stand standard right Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So, is that is that uh, when you look at your company, is that also something that you try to contribute to so these kinds of projects? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, our company was uh, kind of it was founded by uh, by developers for developers, and, and everything that, that that we do, all the software that we put out, is. Uh, tailored and aimed at making the developer experience a lot easier. So in addition to, to kind of having the Azure platform, uh, we maintain a, a number of open source projects, something like over 700 different ones. And uh, you know, some, of the, some of the big ones there are the JSON, uh, JSON Web Token uh, node library. So, so if you've ever used the uh, JSON Web Tokens with any node application, you've likely used one of our packages. And, um, so, so one of our kind of big cadences is, is to give back to the to the developer community and make their lives easier. So, a lot of the software um, that that you're using, especially if you're in the Node world, just because we uh, we were started as a Node.js uh, kind of our infrastructure was Node.js at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of code that that we built um, originally. Uh, we, if we could, we open sourced it and made it available, and have had a, a lot of really good good feedback from the developers. And many times, developers are using uh, our software, our open standard implementations, uh, without even knowing that that it's us that kind of maintain and support those. Very cool, very cool. And uh, one one question that came up to me while you were talking about that. So there are all all these kinds of standards, right? And all these kinds of authentication providers and stuff like that. And you, of course, implement those. Say, for instance, sign in with Google or uh, the sign in with Apple thing that is coming up. Uh, how how do you keep up with that? And how do you actually choose which ones you are going to implement? Because that that can seem like a hard choice in some cases. So uh, say, for instance, someone is using I don't know. Uh, 
uh, the, some obscure thing that they they really want to have. How, how do you actually choose which ones are interesting for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to support as uh, as many uh, social providers as possible, as many different APIs as possible. And since our platform is uh, is built on open standards, it's built on OAuth 2.0 and OpenID Connect. Um, we have a number of um, kind of built-in integrations with uh, with the major social providers. So whether that's Google, Facebook, GitHub, PayPal, uh, we kind of have a list of about 40, 50 that we support out of the box. And what I mean by out of the box, I just mean you go into the Azure dashboard and you check a box saying, yes, I want LinkedIn login. And all you give us is your LinkedIn um, API key, and that's all you have to do. Now, if there is a social provider that we don't support out of the box, that's not in our initial list of, of kind of 40, 50 that we maintain, um, we also allow you to create a custom social connection, in which case it's just a, a couple of extra uh, check boxes that you have to click. And just to, and basically, as long as that uh, third party is OAuth, uh, OAuth and OpenID Connect com- compatible, uh, we can add them in a manner of five, 10 minutes. So you just give us the endpoints, the, the authorization server URLs, as well as your API key for that provider. And basically, you can have... Uh, unlimited possibilities for who you integrate with. And since the the industry ha- has widely adopted uh, OAuth and OpenID Connect uh, as kind of the, the standards going forward, um, we could very easily integrate with those. Very cool. But, yeah. uh, that, 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 that's something I didn't expect to, to happen there. So uh, Because in most cases, people would say, okay, I'm just going to use the, the standard ones like Google, as I said, or whatever, uh, and just do that, and that's it. But what I was wondering about uh, was, so security is tricky, right? So it is a tricky thing, and especially when you need to uh, give data to a third party. In in your case, you're holding a lot of information that's that's pretty sensitive. I mean, usernames and passwords are usually uh, one of the most sensitive things that you can have in in uh, in an application. So how how do you build that trust? So how do you kind of uh, make sure that someone uh, can trust you as a company, but also uh, knows that the the data is safe, for example, and stuff like that. So how do you go? How do you do that? Um, so another one of our kind of major cadences within the company is is radical transparency, and uh, really what we mean by that is that we are as open as uh, as humanly possible with our customers with the with the developers that use our platform so any sort of uh, incidents that that may occur whether it's uh, unplanned downtime or uh, you know as much as i would love to say that we are the uh, we are an impenetrable fortress that has never been hacked and will never be hacked uh, you know that's not a promise that that we can give to to anybody uh, but what we can do is really just, you know, do our best, do our due diligence, ensure that the code that, that we're writing, that we're pushing out is thoroughly reviewed by our security experts and that everything um, everything works to the best of our, our abilities. And luckily, you know, the, the company was founded in uh, 20, 2013. So we've been around for, for about a little over six years now. And uh, in that time, we haven't had any major uh, any major incidents, and we currently uh, work with some of the the biggest companies in the world. Uh, kind of entrust us. So, so Atlassian, for example, is uh, is one of our our really big customers yeah. uh, that relies on, on on us for all of their identity, just because they didn't want to build it themselves, because they knew it was such a daunting task. Um, 
And currently, we process something like two and a half billion logins per month. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've uh, gotten. Uh, I, I want to say we've gotten really good at, at that anomaly detection, at pushing out code that that is you know as secure as it could possibly be. And uh, one of the things that that one of uh, our chief architects always hammers into me is that uh, you're not allowed to say, uh, you know, that you can never say a hundred with a hundred percent certainty that something is secure. No. You can say that it's as secure as possible, but you know, nobody will ever build a system that's a hundred percent impenetrable and a hundred percent secure. No, and that's that's also why one of the reasons why a lot of companies have bounty programs, right? So they they mm. kind of uh, uh, they kind of not encourage it, but but they really uh, they they do offer kind of compensations or whatever uh, just to to people that can actually find flaws in their security, right? Uh, yeah. Is that also something you do, or is it something that you look at differently? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, so we are uh, powered by uh, the, on our website. If you go to the to the very bottom in the footer, there is a uh, white hat section uh, that that kind of goes into our responsible disclosure pro- program. So, uh, in the event that that a uh, that a bug is discovered that that kind of impacts customers or could impact customers, we um, have a, a policy of how we responsibly disclose uh, any issues that that might occur. But then also in that section, we uh, we have the uh, discovering security vulnerabilities. So if you do come across something that uh, allows you to basically allows you access to to parts of Azure that you shouldn't have, if you do responsibly disclose it to us, allow us to fix it, then we do have that, that bug bounty program, and we definitely encourage people to. Um, to report those, and we also do a number of uh, annual audits where you know we'll, we'll invite security experts and uh, kind of do let them do an audit of our system and see if there's any potential issues they find that way. But if you do come across, you're using our API, and uh, you can do something that that you shouldn't. Uh, if you <laughs> if you do report it to us, we'll be uh, happy to to compensate you for that and, and hopefully fix the problem as soon as possible. Very good, very good. So, uh, what I was wondering about for the uh, for the privacy part uh, to get back to that a little bit. Uh, so, say for instance, we're in Europe, or actually, our company is in Europe. Uh, and we're kind of doing business with an American company if you, if you work with uh, R0, of, of course. So how does that go with your data? So say, for instance, my, uh, my users and, and passwords and everything like that, can I like pick where my data is stored and how, how does that work? Sure. So um, we are a, uh, a US-based company, but we do have offices in, uh, in London, in, uh, in Tokyo, Japan, as well as uh, Australia and Argentina. Um, and we do have uh, data centers uh, in the U.S., in the European Union, as well as in Australia. So uh, if you're using our cloud-based uh, SaaS platform, then when you create your account, when you create your tenant, you tell us which region you're in. So if you're in Europe, uh, you can select the EU region, and that's going to ensure all your data um, is in um in Europe, um, another thing we can do, though, for for companies such as uh, such as banks or uh, 
you know, healthcare companies that, that have even stricter requirements um, and kind of need to own that data, need to have full control over it. We can also do a, a private cloud instance where we install uh, the Azure platform. So it's fully managed. We manage all of the updates, manage all of the, the features for you, but it's installed and deployed in your, um, in your private cloud infrastructure. So in your AWS uh, infrastructure, if you have it, we can deploy it there and, and manage it for you. Ah, so, okay. so we have uh, a lot of customers that, that uh, kind of prefer that because they need to have full control over they, their data. They're kind of guided by, by certain uh, standards or certain rules and regulations that make it really hard to, to use a publicly um, you know, available SaaS. So, so we can definitely do that for, for those customers. Mm. And how do, so I can imagine that, uh, as, as you said, there are a lot of certifications and, and things that the people need to go through, right? So uh, what, what kind of certifications do you, uh, do you have, right? So there, there are a lot of, say, for instance, if you're in healthcare, you need the, uh, some of the, the certifications that are, are in there. So uh, how, what, which ones do you have and, and how, uh, how do you go about that? Um, yeah, so, so uh, we have a, a number of uh, ISO certifications, so, so 2701, um, 2701, and 2701A. Uh, we are HIPAA compliant in the United States, uh, GDPR compliant in Europe, and then as well as uh, compliant with the uh, OpenID standards, so OAuth 2.0, as well as OpenID Connect um, in the in the kind of financial world, uh, SOC to compliant PCI DSS and uh, all of those. So we have a number uh, of those standards and certifications available at our public cloud. But again, if you do need that, you know, additional certifications, yeah. um, then we can uh, do a, a custom deployment, a kind of a custom infrastructure for you and uh, work with you to, to get in compliance with uh, with what your business or what your company needs. So we touched on this a little bit before, but uh, wh- where do you kind of see uh, this this whole uh, space around authentication and identity going into the future, right? So is it, is it going to change dramatically? As you said, you have that that open standard that's uh, that's probably coming out. Uh, but where do you see where do you see that going? Because in in some cases, I still feel like. Uh, we have a pretty okay system when you look at username and passwords and two-factor authentication, but it still feels like something that's from, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, and, and it still it doesn't feel like it's current, right, with all the, the technology that we have around us. So where do you see that going in the future? Right. Um, I think the, the future of identity management is is bright. It's, uh, and I think it's, um, I think identity for the most part, um, is a, a solved problem, a, a solved solution for, uh, managing the, the type of data that, you know, a company should have on, on the user. And I know, well, like, for example, GDPR is kind of, kind of forces you to, um, forces you to, to think differently about the type of data collect, how you store it. Um, so I think, you know, government regulation, whether in Europe or in the U.S., is going to shape uh, at least somewhat the, the future of identity. Um, but I think uh, the, the protocols, they're, they're evolving at such a rapid pace and it's such a complex, um, complex field that I could see in the, in the near future, you know, maybe five, 10 years, 
that people will look at identity management like they look at database software, right? You wouldn't mm. typically go out and build your own database software unless you had a really, really good reason to do it. You would go to to Firebase or Mongo or you know, Postgres or you know any of those databases, use their solution, and if you uh, outgrew it, if your company got so massive that, that you needed to build your own uh, custom database, then you would kind of, kind of venture, but at that time you would have the the resources to to be able to kind of change the game. Yeah, I can see identity going that that same path in in the near future, where companies like Odd Zero, like like AWS Cognito, they provide everything you need to get started out of the box, and then. Uh, you know, it's just going to be a number of checkboxes where you say, "Yes, I want to see. I want my users to be able to log in with a social provider. Yes, I need single sign-on for these applications." So developers are, you know, I'm hopeful that that in the next five to ten years, developers are no longer burdened with building that login page, maintaining that login page, and they can just drop in a a ready-to-go solution and focus on building. You know their unique value proposition and their unique applications. Yeah, we were uh, we are actually in the process of testing these kinds of solutions ourselves. So uh, we're we're currently looking actually at Auth Zero as well, uh, just to just to see how that works and to see how that would integrate in into a product. But we also tested out. Uh, actually, you you said it uh, to me uh, the last time we talked that uh, that Firebase is also an, a good option to to look at. And we we tested with that, and we kind of made a, a first kind of version of kind of user management and stuff like that in like a few hours, right? Instead mm-hmm. of something that, and in those few hours, you already had things like, okay, uh, I forgot my password, all the templates that surround that, uh, signing in, logging out, everything like that was already in a few lines of code. It was already there, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's the I think the power of. Of using a service like the, uh, like Alcero, but also Firebase or Cognito or whatever you want to to call, uh, it, it that's that's the that's the beauty of it that you don't need to spend like because if I look at it from our perspective, we maybe would have uh, spent like maybe one or two weeks just building this out, right? Mm-hmm. And that, yep. that's it. <clears throat> Yeah, the, I mean the, that's uh, that's kind of the big draw of, of using one of these platforms is that um, they typically have a a custom built UI that you could just uh, drop into your application. Exactly. So Firebase has their uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, I think it's like FireAuth or or something like that. That you just kind of include the JavaScript package. It builds yeah. the UI for you. Auth zero uh, for us we we call our kind of custom UI that that you could fully customize. We call it Lock. So it's kind of the same thing. You bring in a JavaScript library. When the user hits that login button, they get a really nice uh, UI, or they get redirected to Auth0 to login, where you still have uh, full control over the look and feel uh, of that uh, experience. But at the at the end of the day, it's kind of a standardized experience. So the more, and one thing that I've noticed across all the different companies that that are in the identity space, that their login forms uh, kind of look and feel almost exactly the same. For sure. So. Yeah. We're, we're kind of reaching that that convergence point of yes, this you know whether I'm using a app on my on my Android device or I'm on a website or logging in with my TV, logging in um, you know on my on my smart TV, the login experience is gonna be very familiar to me. So as a you know, as we move forward, I think it's gonna kind of hit that main convergence point where everything it, it's such a 
uh, ingrained thing in, in our in our minds of how to lock in how this works that uh, you know hopefully we can not even think about identity in the future and just have it work seamlessly yeah and uh, a good a good example of that is actually the thing that's uh, being uh, done with the whole biometric thing right so the face id on apple uh, smartphones but also uh, just the fingerprint readers on almost any phone you have right now it has a fingerprint reader uh, built in uh, but but what i like about that is uh we uh we actually got Apple Pay yesterday for our bank here in the Netherlands. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that that has even more kind of sensitivity around it, of course. It's it's your bank account and everything like that. But when you see how that experience is like, when you kind of just press the, the power button two times and just do face ID and then you can pay, I mean, that... that that feels secure, but it also is convenient, right? And that's where you mm-hmm. want to want to get, get because a lot of people say, yeah, security me- actually automatically means that it's it's going to be more work for the user. Uh, but I think that that needs to, that, as you said, that's one of the things that that really needs to change. Is that it has to be uh, it has to be easy for someone to use. They they need to get it like instantly. Uh, isn't that what, that that's it, right? Yep, exactly. It's uh, the, you know the, we can have the the best you know security system in the world. We can have multi-factor authentication that requires you you know three four stages of uh, you know you put in your username and password and then you get a code and then you have to answer a security question yeah. and then uh, you know we could we could talk all day about uh, how how deep we can add our security. But at the end of the day, if it's not convenient, if it uh, forces the user to do something. Uh, out of the ordinary, out of kind of what they're used to, they're not going to want to use it. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of times we, uh, you know, we try to scare the user into uh, using the these two-factor authentication solutions or these multi-factor authentication solutions, but the users hate it, not, not because... Um, you know, not, not because they don't believe in it, but because it's inconvenient. And... Uh, you know, people will always go for the uh, the path of least resistance. So if they can turn off two FA, if they can use uh, you know login with their fingerprint for everything, even if it's uh, even if it's more in- insecure, I think finding that that correct balance of um, of security and convenience is going to be you know one it is one of the big biggest challenges for Auth zero, and uh, I, I think the the first company that kind of gets that balance right is going to they're really good in this space. Yeah, for sure. So to wrap up, I have one more question. The last question I always ask at the in the podcast. So um, what are you most proud of since you started working at Auth0? Um, there, is, uh, <laughs> there is a lot of things to, of course. to be proud of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the company. But I, I think one of the... Um, one of the biggest ones that that makes me really proud is uh, a, a program that we launched about uh, two years ago called the Odd Zero Ambassador Program, and uh, the the idea behind that program is uh, we want to uh, encourage local developer communities to be more informed about identity and security challenges. So what we did with the Aussie Ambassador Program is we invited folks that, that are not part of Aussie or that are not Aussie employees to 
join join this program where we would uh, help them, where, where we would provide knowledge, where we would share kind of the things we were working on, the, the open standards, and provide really in-depth knowledge and training for individuals that are not our employees, that are not um, affiliated with, with Odd Zero, and also um, give them uh, provide them financial assistance to either host meetups in their local cities or regions or even, you know, go to conferences around the world to speak about security and identity concepts. And if they can rope Ozero into that, great. But we really just want uh, people, to, we really just want to give back to the, co to the community at large and make everybody more aware uh, of the security and identity challenges that are out there. So, the, you know, I've run that program for about two years now. And last year we had over 220, 230 events that, that our ambassadors did. And, and it's just been uh, an amazing way to give back and also interact with the, with the developer community worldwide. Yeah, and that, that's the cool thing, right? The, seeing that it actually has an impact at what you are doing at the moment. Um, so uh, that was it. And uh, Ado, thank you so much for your time and doing this again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's been a blast to, to have you on. Um, where can uh, people find you on the internet? Uh, so they could find me uh, at my website at autoadio.xyz. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to, to learn a bit more about me if you're interested and also get in contact. So I have all my social media links um, on there. And then also uh, you could find me on the Zero blog. I uh, occasionally still try to find some time to, to blog. But uh, other than that, you'll probably see me in, uh, at a conference or, or a meetup. So if you do definitely feel free to, to come by and say hi. And I would, I would love to talk to you. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and Auth0, you can find, of course, on auth0.com. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll link it down below in the, in the show notes. Uh, thanks again, Ado. Um, and of course, for the listeners, uh, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com, but also on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn. It's all bitsvsbytes and uh, all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, all over the place. And uh, I would like to thank you for listening and until next time.